As this week we look at the holiday that is Thanksgiving, I want to draw our attention to that theme in Scripture this morning. Before I do so, I want to read a quote from a man you may have heard of. He says this, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. He says, We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have been vainly, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens. Signed, Abraham Lincoln, October 3rd, 1863. Can you imagine your president writing that? Here's what Lincoln said. We have forgotten God. We've become intoxicated with unbroken success. We've become too self-sufficient, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It's been 160 years since the holiday of Thanksgiving has been implemented in the format that we now participate in it. But the idea of gratitude is not a cultural construct. It's a biblical reality. And as we will soon observe, it is the distinguishing mark of a genuine believer. Now, if I told you to imagine a high school jock, a picture immediately comes to your mind. Maybe it's a guy at a locker. He's wearing a Letterman jacket. Maybe it's Biff from Back to the Future or Troy Bolton or whatever you have going on for you. There's a picture that comes to your mind. If I said, I want you to imagine an 80s rock star, a certain picture of style, dress, hair, uh, maybe black jeans, a black cutoff shirt, long hair, an electric guitar comes to your mind. If I told you, hey, I want you to describe for me a person from so-and-so place, maybe you'd speak in their accent or talk with certain vernacular that they would employ. I remember when I moved from Chicago to California when I was in junior high, I went to the restaurant and said, hey, can I have a pop? And they looked at me like I was from Mars. You mean a soda? A pop, same thing. Even now... I became so acquainted with the ways that Californians talk. I explained to people how I got here. I took the 65 to the 840 to the, 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 come at me, proud of it. <laughs> because your speech, your style of dress betrays where you're from and what you're all about. We have a number of different characteristics that distinguish us from other people. But today I wanna look at a definitive distinguishing characteristic that makes it easy to identify a Christian. Every single Christian, every single Christian has a spiritual birthmark that waves at the world, I've been bought by God. And that is thankfulness. First Thessalonians chapter five, I wanna look at three verses and then one in particular. Chapter five, verse 16 through 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, that's rejoice always. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, in the Greek. It's just one simple command. It's small in size, but large in significance. Did you know that you're not only to trust God always, you're to rejoice always? Today, there are gonna be a number of different times where we can take our spiritual temperature and evaluate the level of maturity that we possess in Christ. Because there is a command here that is so far reaching without any sort of limitations that if you're a Christian, one of the ways that people know that you are different is you're a rejoicer. I'm gonna harp on this for the next number of years until the Lord takes me home or the rapture, um, whatever. Listen, when we sing, that's a tangible expression of the joy we have in Christ. And it's a command. So what we just did is not just the intro to church. It's not some sort of tradition that the church partakes in. It's a way we demonstrate our joy. And if it's something that, and rejoicing is, a, is a, not only a feeling of the heart, it's a decision. Because not all situations and circumstances are conducive to rejoicing, which means that if you're to rejoice always, it is a determination of the will to rejoice. Which means that if you show up at church and you don't feel like singing, the Bible says, hey, buckle up and say to your soul, bless the Lord. So we rejoice always. Then we pray without ceasing. And then in verse 18, it says to give thanks in everything. In the Greek, in everything is empanti. It's just the idea of every single thing in our life. Now, flip back one page to 1 Thessalonians 4. In verse three, it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification, listen, if it's a word, that you don't understand and yet it comes right after the phrase, this is the will of God. Don't you think it's a word we need to understand? Your sanctification is the continual process by which you become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this before. You are justified. That is a one-time reality where God takes your heart of stone and turns your heart into a heart of flesh. That happens in a moment. But sanctification with those who have been justified happens throughout their life until they meet God face to face. You should be able to look back on your life five years ago and go, God has changed me. He's changed, he's, he, every day or every year, it's not perfect. I don't, it's not like a stock that's just constantly crescendoing, but I see that God is changing my life. That's sanctification and that's the will of God for your life. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, flip back. It says, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, are you looking for God's will? It doesn't need to be found. It needs to be obeyed. And if you're looking for God's specific will, that'll f seldom ever be found by people who live in disobedience to his revealed will. And his revealed will for your life is that you're a rejoicer and a grateful individual. This is Christianity 101. Thankfulness is described here as an imperative command because it is so foreign and non-instinctive to the natural mind. I didn't have to teach my daughter Lily to say mine. I didn't even know she spoke words until she went, that's mine. And I went, whoa, where did that come from? Because that is the hallmark of the unregenerate. Now, when I say unregenerate, we need to understand that the unregenerate, regeneration is the term which, where God takes in Ezekiel 36. Remember, we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about this when we get to John 3 in the spring. That is when God takes your heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh. If you're an unbeliever, there is not a single beating of your heart that beats for God. You're dead in your sin, not mostly dead, which is slightly alive, dead, dead, right? 
Regeneration was when God does a miracle and takes that heart of stone, turns it into a heart of flesh. But when someone is dead in their sin, the distinguishing mark of that individual is that they are ungrateful. Keep your finger where you're at, and I want you to look with me at Romans chapter one for a moment. Romans chapter one. Okay, so Romans chapter one, verse 20, it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, talk to me, thanks. But they became futile and their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. It says in verse 24, and maybe you know it, God gives them over to degrading passions, it says the natural function of affection between a man and a woman was exchanged for the like, and they begin to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. But right in this kind of smorgasbord and litany of sins that grieve and offend God, you have this distinguishing characteristic of an unbeliever, which is that they did not honor God, nor did they give thanks to him. They don't give thanks to God. They don't submit and recognize the source and fountain of every blessing you can turn back to 1 Thessalonians, but I wanna read this for you in 2 Timothy 3. It says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. In the middle of a list, I mean, think about it. Unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, brutal, and haters of good, sandwiched in the middle, is ungrateful. Ingratitude is one of the most heinous sins there is. And it grieves and offends God. People might even have the appearance of gratitude that don't know the Lord, but it is never directed towards the giver meaning that their gratitude never finds its proper terminus, meaning people can say compliments to the chef, but they never give gratitude to the one, the creator that gives the chef all of the ingredients by which he makes the meal. And when people don't know God, they cannot actually direct their thanksgiving to him. But generally speaking, the unsafe person goes through life bitter, disappointed, complaining, jealous, coveting, chippy, edgy, and ungrateful. Remember that there are 10 lepers that Jesus healed, but only one returned to give thanks. And he was the one who received not only a physical healing, but the salvation of his soul. And the unbelieving world are like those nine other lepers that receive God's good gifts, meaning there is God's common grace. If you ever looked at that, it says in Matthew that he, calls, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the, anybody know? Unjust, meaning that you don't have to be a believer to wake up in the morning to go make some coffee and to go look at the sunrise. But that is a gift from God that even an unbeliever can experience. But they, they experience all these things and they never give gratitude towards the giver of them. But gratitude is Christianity 101. It is a defining characteristic of a Christ follower. Turn with me to Colossians. And we're gonna do a Bible study this morning. But that's what we do. We study the Bible. Colossians chapter two, okay? All right, it says in Colossians chapter two, verse six, it says, therefore, as you have received, pause there, that is the Greek word paralimbano. You don't need to know that, that's just for free. 
But in the Greek, and I don't want to often get in the languages, but this is where it's helpful. In the Greek, it is an aorist, active, indicative verb. It's different than just something that is past tense. If it's past tense, it's over and done with. But an aorist, active, indicative verb means that it happened in the past, and yet it has ongoing, continual ramifications in your life. It's not just back there. It's back there, and it produces boom, 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 boom. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, that happened once upon a time when you were saved, but that salvation, that regeneration of your heart produces a change until you meet God face to face. We tracking? It says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now built, being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That verb for overflowing in Greek means to gush. When I was a kid, I used to mow the lawn and I would break my dad's sprinklers about every week. And uh, what happens is just start shooting water. And that's what this verb means. It's, you can't control it. It's a fountain of gratitude. So that's Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Turn with me to Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. And we read this. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Talk to me. Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, verse 17, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. How do you measure the depth and degree of transformation that has taken place in your life if you're a Christian? You wanna take your temperature? How grateful are you? I'm preaching to my own heart this morning. The early church made it an absolute priority every time they gathered. In Acts, and I'll just read this for you, you don't have to turn there. In Acts, it says at the end of chapter two, Day by day, they were continually with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The habit of the early church was let's get together and let's just thank God. And this is in fact why God extends his grace to unworthy sinners in the first place, to produce a people of thanksgiving. There's a lot of things that define a church. Culturally speaking, it's the building, maybe other factors. Um, we're a young church and we're a work in progress. We got a lot we wanna work on. We're gonna paint that wall. It's not a piece of art. But one of the things I hope that is a core fundamental component of our DNA is we're grateful. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, for all things are for your sakes that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause, I want you to track this. Don't tune out when I read the scripture. It says, the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Do you know why God gives his grace to people? It's so that when they receive that grace, it says abounds, it rebounds to the glory of God. If you wanna live your life for the glory of God, that has a tangible way you do that. And that is that you give thanks to him. God saves people in order that the grace they received would abound to the glory of God as they give thanks to him. Today, I wanna to look at the reasons for thanksgiving, the fruit of thanksgiving, meaning it has an effect in your life. 
and the hindrances to thanksgiving. I wanna look at a number of these reasons, but there's a big key thing you cannot miss if you're looking at 1 Thessalonians 5. And we're gonna flip around a lot today. It says, and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There is no power to be thankful in all circumstances if Christ Jesus is not in you. You don't possess the power to be grateful in all circumstances because not all circumstances translate to gratitude unless you're in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you have endless reasons to always be grateful because certain things are always true. Are you ready for those? Number one, God is sovereign. God is in control of everything that is happening in your life. And listen here, if you don't believe this, you cannot possibly be grateful in every circumstance. The sparrow that falls, the tire that pops, the white blood cell, the demotion, the promotion, the ACL, and the CEO, everything in your life is under the sovereign orchestration of God. And Jonathan Edwards says, not a single leaf is going to fall to the ground today outside of the predetermined plan of God. Now, two quick remarks. One, if you cannot rest in God's sovereignty, you will find it very difficult to rejoice in his love because God's sovereignty brings the comfort, the preciousness, and the power to his love. Because if God's hands were tied, then his, the value of his love would be diminished. Yeah, God's up in heaven, he has good intentions, and he loves me, but he cannot necessarily accomplish his purposes. But God's love for you provides the potency, or God's sovereignty provides that power to his love because he is the supreme being over all of creation and he rules over all kings, all nations, every wave and every sparrow. The authority of that God mixed with the reality that he loves you brings all of the wonder to it. Secondly, you will never be able to be grateful for God's providential hand or his sovereignty if you do not understand the good that he is working all things towards. If you've grown up in the church, maybe you're familiar with the verse, for God causes all things to work together for what? Good. And it says, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I've talked about this a little bit in the summer where people sometimes kind of like backhandedly or capriciously say, yeah, don't worry about what you're going through, God's sovereign. And they'll say things like, hey, in 20 years, it'll all make sense. That's not necessarily true. Because if you're looking for the good that God is working everything towards, you need to have an eternal perspective. And the good that God is working everything towards is not your best life now, it is in the next verse. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Do you know what the good is God is working everything towards in your life? Every pain, every trouble, every trial, the good he is working everything towards is your transformation and confirmation into the image of God, conformation. And if that's not your chief objective, then you can never say that God's purposes are good. And you'll live confused when people remind you that he's working everything out for good when it doesn't seem good unless you anchor in what's revealed in God's word, which is that the good of God is that you become like God's son. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number 27 says, by what do you understand the providence of God? Question, answer, the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade 
rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Can I give you a reason to be thankful? Nothing happens by chance. Nothing. My wife pegged a deer last week on the way home. Someone said, what are the odds? I don't know. But I know that God is in control of everything in my life and everything in yours. And if you believe that, can you say amen? amen. Number two, you can thank the Lord for his forgiveness. I wanna look with you at Ephesians chapter one for a moment. Turn there and you'll he- I wanna hear the pages because that's the greatest sound in the world. Ephesians 1, verse 7. I told the first service, I don't want to just say the Bible says. If you grew up in a church where it says the Bible says, the Bible says, I would, I would love for you to develop the reflex of you just saying, show me where. Show me where. Because I want you to, to study this book for yourself. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. We have forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're in Christ, your greatest need in life has already been met. And if this doesn't produce a thanksgiving in your own heart, you need to evaluate if you've ever been forgiven at all. Because when a slave is freed, when a debtor is delivered, when a dead man is made alive, they don't forget it. This, you know, at the conclusion of the service, we'll partake of the Lord's table because we're all prone to wonder, prone to Lord, 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 I feel it, prone to leave the God above. So we need these reminders to trigger our own memories of what God has done. But if you have been forgiven of your sin, your greatest need has already been met in Jesus Christ. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 32, how blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Ephesians 4, verse 32, you can just look there for a moment. And this will be a moniker for our church. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Are you a tender-hearted individual? Well, tender hearts happen only when they understand the second part of this verse. Forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Your sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. I'm grateful because I'm a sinner, and so are you. Third, we can be thankful for God's love. Look back with me at Ephesians chapter two. In verse four, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We are to thank God for his love. This is not just an academic subject, and I'm gonna harp on this, and I have you know, certain things that you'll go, oh, this is just his, the, the, the drum he bangs. God's love is not an academic subject that we merely theologically affirm. It is something that thrills our hearts and satisfies our souls. Psalm 106 verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. The next Psalm begins the same way. Psalm 107 verse one, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And it's not just something to affirm. Psalm 63 says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Gary Gaetti was the third baseman for the Minnesota Twins. And he said that in 1987, he thought winning the World Series was the greatest thrill in the world. That was the peak of his fame and fortune. But he writes, then in 1988, I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal savior and the Lord of my life. Believe me, friend, 
The World Series was great, but nothing compares to the thrill of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus and knowing that your name has been written in the record books of eternal, everlasting life. God's love is thrilling, and it's real. I grew up in an environment where I've used this term a fair amount. I think people spectrum swing. I think the same thing is true today. If you've grown up in a charismatic church, no spirit, all truth. If you've grown up in a prosperity-oriented church, you could switch to the other side of the spectrum and go, God doesn't want to bless you. Your life should be full of trials. And there's truth in that. If you've grown up in a church where you've seen people convolute and distort God's love at the expense of his other attributes, you may respond and say, yeah, he is love, but he's holy. And there's truth in that. But what we're trying to do here, I don't like the word balance because I think sometimes balance is used synonymously with compromise. What we want to do is we want to take twin truths in God's word and we want to tether them together because if you've grown up and you've ever heard God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, maybe you roll your eyes because you see that and there's maybe a distortion of the gospel there. There's no calling to repentance. There's no high view of sin. But I do want you to understand God does love you deeply. we just saying, oh, the blood of Jesus. If you need a tangible expression of the love of God, you come to the foot of the cross and you need to know that you know that you know for sure God does, capital L, love, not just us, you. That's Augustine. He loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. His love is not divided by the millions. His love is infinitely poured out into specific individuals. And that love is thrilling. Number four, you can be thankful for God's word. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I love this. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. When the disciples, many of them left Jesus in John 6, Jesus looks at them and says, will you also leave? And Peter responds and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Are you grateful for the word of God? I want you to do something. Maybe just let's pretend we're in a a youth group for a moment because sometimes it's helpful. I want everyone to take your Bible and I want you to hold it up. Come on, I know this is weird. Do it. Okay. And I want you just to look around and see the abundance of Bibles. And I want you to understand something. Nearly every single person that was a part of the process in giving you what you hold in your hand today in English was burned at the stake. Put your Bibles down, but I want you to understand. Every single person was persecuted for what you have seven copies of. John Huss, Erwin Lutzer talked about him last week. I've mentioned it before. I spent about six months in Prague after college, and there in Prague is the statue of John Huss who was burned at the stake because he was committed to the word of God. William Tyndale, maybe the most important person in the translation of our Bibles, he said, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. Listen, 
I don't know what your background is, but I'm not supposed to be the only expert here. If you're a businessman, a plumber, a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, a mom, you're to be a skilled theologian. And the way in which we pursue that is through the words of God. William Tyndale was strangled and then burned at the stake. John Rogers, I've held his first edition Bible that's 500 years old. Here's the poem he wrote before he was also burned at the stake. Farewell, my children, to the world where you must yet remain. The Lord of hosts is your defense till we do meet again. Farewell, my true, my loving wife, my children and my friends. I hope in heaven to see you all where all things have their ends. If you go on to serve the Lord as you have now begun, you shall walk safely all your days until your life be done. God grants you so to end your days, and he shall think it best that I may meet you in the heavens where I do hope to rest. And he was walked down this aisle with his friends and family, reached for the hand of his wife, and burnt to a crisp. And he said right before he died, that which I have preached with my lips, I now seal with my blood. I've thought about it, and I didn't want to maybe show the video, but I mentioned to you before the video of the underground Chinese church getting a suitcase of Bibles. I watched it when I was a boy, and it's a video I'll never forget. Um, Black Friday-esque, diving on top of each other, unzipping a suitcase of Bibles, kissing it, and crying because there is an understanding of maybe what we've become numb to. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Can I ask you, are you grateful for the word of God? And if you say you are, is that tangibly demonstrated in the level of priority you place on it in your life? I wanna pursue and know the, the word more next year than I know it now. Can you say that with me? Amen. Fifth, we're to be thankful for God's people. Can I just show you a theme in scripture? This brings me great joy. Ephesians 1.16, Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Philemon 1.4, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians 1.3, I thank my God always in remembrance of you. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. Romans 1.8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Listen, look left, look right. Are you thankful for the people of God? You have been blood-bought by Jesus Christ, and you do indeed have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but you need to understand this, and we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. You do not have an exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not an only child. You're not a lone ranger. You've been adopted into a family. And part of the distinguishing characteristic of a believer is that they are grateful for their siblings that all share a common father. Listen, if you don't love the people of God, 1 John says, you're not a believer at all. This is important. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we love the brethren, 1 John. When we gather and I've talked about this before. Even when we sing, we're not just singing because of our worship. The, when we sing, we're to mutually benefit and bless, encourage and exhort one another. I think it's important to recognize, listen, not all of you are gonna vacation together. That's fine. 
Not all of you share the same thoughts on raising your kids or maybe not all of you have the same style or same preferences. Some of you eat mayonnaise, I don't understand. <laughs> Exits over there. But listen, every single one of you needs to have a love for the people of God and a love for the local church. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for it. And one of the tangible, obvious ways that gratitude is displayed, Paul says, I give thanks to you, watch this, remembering you in my prayers, making mention of you in my prayers, making mention of you in my prayers. I make mention of you in my prayers. You wanna know how grateful you are for the people of God? How often does the name of other individuals come off your lips? when you're at the throne of grace. Convicting for me, but you're probably perfect at that. Number six, we're grateful for God's promise of heaven. God's promise of heaven. Second Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. You know what the word transient means? Fleeting, whisper in the wind, it's gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Listen, every single trial you've ever gone through, when you're in glory, in a billion years from now, even long seasons of suffering will be like, it's transient. It's like a breath of cold air on a Chicago morning. You see it and it's gone. And God is using every trial, trouble, persecution, difficulty, and pain in your life. Do you know what he's doing? He's preparing you, it says, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'm ready. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. The world you live in wants to make you think with all of their might, this is it and to distract you from the reality that this world is not your home. But Christians understand, listen, while my feet are planted here, my citizenship is in glory. Where Revelation 21, four says, he is gonna wipe away every tear from your eye. And death shall be no more. There shall be no mourning no pain, the former things are passed away. Are you facing loneliness, trouble, physical or relational pain? Then you need to rejoice in the reality that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Seven, we thank God for his provision. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Luke 12 says, consider the birds, listen, they don't sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and who of you by worrying can add a single cubit or a single moment to their life? My God shall provide all of your needs according to his glory in Christ Jesus. Watch this. Your needs in life are that which are in accordance with the glory of God. Some of you are looking for a job. Some of you are looking for a spouse. Some of you are 
worried about meeting your needs with the rising inflation, the interest rates, and then a glance at your children's crooked teeth. Man, they need braces. Listen, God is going to provide every single need according to the riches of his glory. Eight, you can be thankful for the faithfulness of God. That's such a word, a word that's lost meaning in our cultural context. But Psalm 92 says this, verse one, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. We sing the words, great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Listen, aren't you thankful God is a faithful God, which means that your standing before God is not determined upon your standing before God. Because listen, if you could lose your salvation, you would. If your salvation and the preservation of it was up to you, you would. But John 10 says, no one will snatch them out of my hand because God is a faithful God and he preserves and protects those who truly belong to him. Nine, God answers prayer. You can thank him for that reality. Psalm six, verse nine says, the Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. The Lord hears when I call to him. Psalm four, verse three. I love this in Isaiah 65, verse 24. Before they call on me, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Listen, we have a God who is there. We have a God who is not silent and has revealed himself in his word. And we have a God who listens. If you are a stranger to prayer, you will be though a stranger to gratitude. Because how can your life constantly be impressed with the reality that God is a God who hears How can you be thrilled by the fact that we can now boldly approach the throne of grace if you don't approach the throne of grace? Prayer is a neglected privilege. And if we do pray, though, we give God gratitude that he hears our prayers. This week in my own life, I can attest to the fact and be thankful just for the reality that God hears when his people pray. Remember, it says in James that you have not because you what? Ask not. Your biggest problem in life is not unanswered prayers, but unoffered prayers. But to those that pray, they can be thankful. We have a God who hears, amen? There's one more reason why we ought to be grateful, and I'm gonna circle back to it in a moment. But I want to briefly talk about the fruit of thanksgiving as we begin to land the plane, the fruit of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is not the end. It is a means to an end. And I wanna walk you through this. In Philippians 4, 6, you know the verse potentially. It says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then that's the consequence. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen here. It says, Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then, as a consequence of the thanksgiving, the peace of God guards your hearts. Listen, part of the reason that we live in a world, even in a Christian context that does not experience the peace that comes from God, is because they do not give God thanks. Because thanksgiving and gratitude is the on-ramp to the highway of peace. 
Because here's how it works. You can take great truths about God and affirm them. God is sovereign. God loves me. But when those truths are merely affirmed, it never impresses themselves upon our own hearts and minds. So how Thanksgiving works is it takes the truths about God and it impresses those realities upon our heart where we don't just say uh, God's sovereign. We, We thank God that he is sovereign and thank him for his control. Thank you, God that there is not a moment nor a mile on planet earth that is outside of your sovereign orchestration. And as you begin to thank God for these great truths, you become convinced of them and that cultivates peace. We tracking? So it produces peace. Secondly, I wanna just maybe, you can listen as I read along in Ephesians 5. It says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is improper among saints, or proper among saints. And it says, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Listen, one of the fruits of thanksgiving is purity. Because when the climate of your heart is so used to being thankful to God in every circumstance, when you come across something in your life that you're not able to thank God for, a warning goes off in your own conscience and a commitment is solidified within your own heart. If it's not something I can thank God for, it's not something I'm going to participate in. It says, don't talk filthy. Don't joke about the things Jesus died for, but rather give thanks. And when you're thanking God for all of his goodness, for all of his love, when you encounter something that grieves God, you don't want to partake in that, right? So this Thanksgiving produces purity, it produces peace, it produces influence. Philippians 2 says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you know how you shine as a light in the world? Well, one of the basic things is that you don't partake in the world's grumbling and complaining. So if you wanna be a thankful person, that's one of the surest indicators of a life of influence. What are some of the hindrances to gratitude? Hindrances to gratitude, well, obviously circumstances. That's why the command is to give thanks in every circumstance because your thanksgiving should not be dependent upon the circumstances in which you find yourself. Secondly, it could be doubt. One of the largest catalysts to thanksgiving is assurance that we belong to God. But if you doubt you belong to God, then how can you give thankful that you're his, be thankful that you're his child? Listen, there is no one on planet earth that desires for you to have assurance of your salvation more than Jesus Christ. He takes no joy in you wandering around this life in obscurity, questioning whether or not you truly belong to him. It's a command in scripture to make your calling and election sure in Peter. God wants you to know without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to him. You know why? Because that is the first rung of the thankfulness ingredients. You belong to him. So therefore your love His love is for you. His forgiveness is for you. Heaven is for you. Another hindrance to gratitude would be spiritual starvation. When we don't feed our souls the truth, 
we starve our minds of thanksgiving. Maybe just one other thing, and then we'll partake of the Lord's table. Distraction. In our ever-moving, constantly busy life, we mute the goodness of God because thankfulness is the offspring of contemplation. And if you don't contemplate God's goodness, you will always be shallow in your gratitude. So we need time to think. We will cease to be thankful when we become cynical and over, overly critical, and that is wildly incongruous with the life of a Christian. Now, in the Old Testament, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, there was a sacrificial system that was in place, and they would offer those sacrifices week after week after week so that there would be reminders of their sin. But not only were there sin offerings, in Leviticus 7 is an entire chapter that's devoted to thank offerings. Thank offerings for the reality that God has implemented a system by which people can have their sins forgiven or covered and their relationships with God restored. And when we come to the Lord's table, it's not only a remembrance of what God has done in paying for our sin, it's also a ceremony and celebration of gratitude for what he's doing. And then we'll look in 1 Corinthians 11 at what he's going to do. It says, as long as you do this, do this in remembrance of me until the Lord comes back. I'm thankful that Jesus is coming back and we're gonna go home to glory with him. Now, here's what I wanna do. We often do this separately, but I'm gonna pray and in a moment I want you to go grab the cup and the bread and I want you to go to your seat and then we're gonna do this all together. Does that sound good? All right, let me pray for us. God, we love you and I'm so grateful you love us. I'm grateful that even as we pray, you hear us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would make us marked by thanksgiving and gratitude. Overflowing, Colossians says, gushing with thankfulness. Lord, I pray that this would be one of the chief components of our witness to the watching world. We pray this in your name. And all God's people said.